when I first left school, uh, it was really about saving, working and saving money. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to dig into lessons from my life. Yes, we're going to dig into five lessons that made me a multimillionaire. And of course, this episode is actually designed by request. Yes, uh, one of the avid listeners of the program. Uh, he's been around since day dot, Pratesh has reached out and said, well, can you talk a little bit about your journey and some of the insights and lessons that you have learned along the way to build yourself a multi-million dollar property portfolio? And I thought, why not? That's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about the journey thus far. And of course, uh, hopefully, there's some lessons that you can walk away with when it comes to building your own portfolio from today's program. So welcome back, avid listeners. Welcome back, regulars. And of course, if it's your first time tuning into the show, well, wow, welcome aboard. Play the program in double speed, get your life back. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize for my look in general. I am like a Little hairy wombat. Uh, I am disheveled today. Today I am podcasting as a disheveled person. You could uh, potentially view me and see me as like the uh, homeless guy because uh, I am uh, unshowered. I am hairy and I am podcasting. Uh, I don't want to be accused of doing podcasts only at a in a comfortable state. So I am uncomfortable today. But let's get into it. Uh, there's many people who have created success from real estate and uh, I'm certainly not the first and I won't be the last. I think real estate is just one of those asset classes that all of us can learn, all of us can understand. And uh, you really don't need a you know science degree or a degree in rocket science to ultimately end up financially free from the asset class. So uh, I think it's one of the easiest ways to just get ahead in this world, to get out of the rat race, and it's certainly something that I've been working on really ever since my economic life began. And I guess my fascination with real estate really as an asset class, what was basically driven from a sense of belonging. And I grew up in a very, very wealthy neighborhood as a child. Um, I was certainly not from a wealthy parent background. My mum and dad bought a house in a very, very expensive suburb, a suburb called Hunters Hill, which today is is really full of millionaires and billionaires um, here in Sydney. But uh, we were nothing like that. We actually bought a house, the worst house in the best neighbourhood, and it was years later we worked out why it was the worst house. The street was connected to uranium, believe it or not. Yes, I am Chernobyl boy. 
And uh, I grew up in this kind of awkward dynamic where everyone around me outside of Chernobyl Street was rich and uh, I was not exactly that. Um, Certainly at that point in time, generationally speaking, my parents had not made a huge amount of money out of real estate, but they knew that if you put yourself in a position and surround yourself with wealth, you get a multiplier effect. And I guess my fascination with becoming a property investor was a fascination about belonging. I saw all these people do very, very well in my local community from real estate. I saw wealthy kids grow up in very impressive houses. I saw um, really the benefits that rich people gained from real estate over and above what they did for a living. And so my first fascination with property is really connected to a way people can belong, uh, belong from a social status. And of course, uh, today, my fascination is still connected to that belief. I'm fascinated with belonging and property is a way for people to belong. And uh, it really stems back to the fact that I didn't belong and uh, real estate allowed me to actually climb a ladder of belonging. And really, I guess I learned about real estate from a very early early age through osmosis. Osmosis was really the idea that my neighborhood connected me to how wealthy people worked. Obviously, I made friends in my neighborhood and some of my friends in my early life, still my friends today, were very wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people, some of the most wealthy people here in Australia. And, uh, you know, in Australia, we have the BRW Top 200 Australians. And uh, some of the families that I got to know were certainly in that league. They were in that category. And, uh, you know, one of the earliest families that I got to know uh really became my rich dad uh, per the book by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And of course, anyone who knows that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, could uh, could kind of frame it that, uh, you know, the rich dad was one that, you know, built businesses, created passive income from investments. And the poor dad was someone who just got up every day went to work, exchanged their time for money and really uh, ended up living their entire life without any income producing assets aiding their existence. Their job was their existence and when that job completed, there was no money left for distribution thereafter. And so I learned early on really uh, through one of my friend's parents, uh, Gary, who was one of the wealthiest men in Australia at the time. Uh, he owned Franklin Supermarket, which today is the IGA brand of supermarket and uh, was quite surreal. I mean, some of my early friends were l- literally the children of today's billionaires. And so 
uh, by osmosis, I got to travel around and see what was going on. And naturally, I'd spend a lot of time with these people just because I liked them and as people, not because they were billionaires. I was nine years old. Um, but, you know, we would go to soccer practice and rugby practice and all these type of things together as, as kids. And I would just naturally pick up on really the idea that real estate can create a passive income for people. Uh, one of my friends, Sean's, you know, his father, Gary, owned half of Pitt Street Mall, uh, half of Manly Corso, half of Oxford Street Paddington. And it really was the real game of Monopoly. And so I got to learn that rich people think differently. Rich people seemed freer to me. They seemed simply not to care about uh, the cost of things, the cost of food what uh, they bought from the shops, the type of bike they rode. And uh, I, I, you know, obviously grew up in a, in a much poorer dynamic where the cost of something was a real conversation. Uh, the type of bike I rode was the cheap one from Kmart, not the expensive one from the fancy bike shop. The type of shoes I wore were not, uh, designer shoes, they were Kmart specials. Uh, the conversation around, you know, the type of food and household budget was a real thing in my household. So my parents, if you like, were unashamedly poor in a rich neighborhood. My dad would drive through the neighborhood with a basically car full of stuff in it. He worked at a market, and to get to the market every morning, he would drive through very, very rich neighborhoods in a beaten up old car full of stuff, uh, full of like fridge magnets and, uh, you know, uh, scarves and, and whatever he was going to sell for the day. And so I felt like I never belonged in that world. So my fascination with belonging and a connection to property was instilled in me at a very young age. I knew if I became a property investor, I would actually uh, feel more like I belonged with my social peers. And so as my life grew and as uh, I became a teenager, I certainly um, started to believe that the way to belong was through investments and obviously there was some you know teenage years where all sorts of stuff happened but I certainly ended up entering my economic life with the concept that I needed to become an investor and I'd witnessed all these amazing people own investments and it was really only natural for me to follow that footstep and growing up in a, you know 1940s house with which was an absolute you know derelict home um, with parents that drove derelict cars through a very rich neighborhood certainly my sister my brother and I grew up very very awkward in this very rich world. Uh, 
But when I look back on it, it really was one of the blessings of my life to go through that experience because it has made me very tough. It has made me, uh, it has given me a lot of grit. But if I was to self-analyze myself, really the conversation of real estate investment is connected to the belief that I don't belong and the way to belong is to actually out-invest others to climb a social status. I know it's a lot of self-psychology there um, and it's just the way it is. I grew up poor in a rich person's world. And I think real estate, what attracted to me was the immediacy of real estate. It was there. It was tangible. It was something I could touch, feel, see. I could do something about it. And as I grew up exploring some of the most amazing real estate the world has on offer through my local suburb, I got to see that there are real tangible results off the back of real estate. Uh, Lovely houses, waterfront mansions today that would be worth $20, $30 million were places I would go to to be part of the local kid community and see, Uh, you know, waterfront homes, mansions that are just incredible, uh, some of the most historic pieces of real estate in Australia. Uh, if you've ever seen The Bachelor, one of the, I think, first five Batchy episodes here in Australia were filmed at a house I used to play at as a kid. It was my friend Teddy's house. Teddy's granddad started Grace Brothers. Grace Brothers changed its name to Meyer, Meyer's uh, department store. And so I love seeing things happen. And I got to physically see the evidence of things happening through observations of real estate, these homes being renovated, uh, the ability for people to make a lot of money out of the physical evidence of real estate. Homes would sell, my friends would move, they would upgrade because uh, they would sell their home for a pretty penny. And uh, we would openly talk about this as children. So I kind of knew I would always end up investing and investing, as I have alluded to, was just really a way for me to belong. And uh, it was a form of social acceptance. And so I had a long way to travel to reach really social acceptance. And so when I first left school, uh, it was really about saving, working and saving money. And uh, really, ever since I can remember, I've realized that I have to think differently because I certainly from an, an ability to belong with the social elite, I was worlds apart. And, uh, you know, for me, it was about doing something about that. And the only way to get a, get into their world was for me to basically hustle, 
basically work and save, 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 save. And so my first property I ever bought was off the back of saving. And, uh, you know, I would work all sorts of jobs to create money. Uh, I would work a full-time job. I would work market stalls on the weekend at Glebe Markets and Roselle Markets. They were kind of like my side hustles. And uh, really all the money that I created, uh, I would put aside. And it was, again, the belief that I needed to find belonging and that was driving my rate of saving. In the beginning for me, it wasn't about economics at all, becoming a property investor. It was all about the conversation that this is the pathway to a brighter future. And so, you know, the first property I ever bought, I I simply just, you know, put enough money aside from working over a couple of years and no different to anyone today. You know, it takes time to save. There was no silver bullets for me. Um, I was not necessarily the smartest kid in the room um, and I was just putting the pennies away, living a minimalist lifestyle. So the first property I bought was what I call the Red Rattler. Anyone who grew up in uh, in Sydney would re- remember the Red Rattler trains. They were so unsafe, the doors basically never shut. Uh, you would get on the train. It was like what you see out of, uh, you know, modern day India today, basically train, inner city train travel back then. You could stick your head out the window. Um, people basically fell out of trains. There was a lot of people who who sadly lost their life um, getting on a Sydney suburban train. Uh, I liken my first property to the Sydney urban trains of, uh, of basically the 80s and the 90s, the Red Rattler. I bought an old red brick uh, apartment in um, an area of Sydney, which I knew basically lived nearby. Really, my first logic was, again, uh, this is close to my social world. This is close to my mum and dad. This is close to where my friends are. And uh, really, it was all I could afford at the time. And it was about getting my foot in the door. And uh, really, I guess... As I sort of owned that real estate, I realized what real estate is actually about. I felt safe buying the property, but once I owned the property, what I realized was it was full of unexpected costs. The repair bill on the asset was was constant. The strata costs were, uh, were problematic because the overall building had... Uh, diminishing appeal, things were breaking, there was, you know, problems with the driveway, there was all sorts of special concerns with the asset. 
And so one of my first lessons when it came to to understanding the game of real estate was the maths matters really was lesson number one that I had no comprehension that I was buying a lemon that uh, this wasn't really the way to climb and be accepted by just buying anything and really emotionally it was what I could afford at the time it was really where my budget sat but really that wasn't necessarily again going to get me into the world I'd craved which was the world of belonging socially uh, and economically by the, the the elites of Sydney and so uh, I bought this property and and really I, I owned it for probably about 18 months and really what I found was mathematically the maths did not work. The rent wasn't great. The costs of repairs and maintenance were problematic. It was a much older complex um, and then I soon sort of realized that if you could spend $100,000 improving this property and you wouldn't get that back in extra rent or capital gain, you would simply throw money in the bin. And of course, a dwelling can erode your retirement. And probably what I started to realize, well, if investing is about climbing a uh, status for me and moving forward and really investing is also about an older me and the idea of really belonging, then I need to buy for a much older version of myself. I need to buy for the 40-year-old, the 50-year-old version, the 65-year-old version of myself, something that has more longevity than just a deal which is going to, you know, ultimately um, be full of costs and send me backwards. I need to think differently about real estate. I need to buy real estate, which is going to be the real estate that pushes me forward. And uh, today there's lots of real estate out there, which does nothing economically for anyone. And uh, sometimes there's this Again, probably no different to when I bought perverted view of real estate that you just buy something and uh, that's the plan. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work that way. There are A-grade properties, B-grade, C-grade, D-grade properties. And really what I started with was a D-grade property. So I soon realized that this is just fool's gold. Like if you want to uh, economically improve your life, you're not going to do that through degrade real estate. And uh, really, coming back to the conversation, lessons that made me a multimillionaire was really maths matters. Maths matters when it comes to real estate. It's really the first lesson, if you like. And when uh, I think about the conversation around maths. I think about learning the way to be a money manager. And, and for me, really, the idea of maths and the second lesson was I am 
my own CFO. I am the person in charge of my economics. So going through an experience where I bought a property, saved money and put all my money into the market and then realizing the property I bought was flawed, then selling that property and then ultimately losing all the money I'd saved, which took me years, uh, it, was a, it was a real uh, lesson in life. And it really took me to the second lesson, which is learning to be a money manager. Uh, I kind of, when I bought that property, I kind of almost abdicated the concept of that I need to actually be a money manager. I, believe it or not, saved the money, which was a great money management uh, ability, but then I burnt it. I threw it away. I bought an inferior degrade asset, the top of the market cycle, and just literally could see the writing on the wall with that asset for the next 20, 30, 40 years, that it was a broken piece of real estate. And so the real lesson here is that you need to learn, as I learnt, to be a money manager. You are your own financial planner, if you like. You are in charge of you. And again, a lot of people today outsource this, which is fine to have a team, but you want to know what your team is doing. You want to know um, a little bit about the co overall concept so that you can manage your state, your mind, and you can manage your money. So I learned to be a money manager and that involved all sorts of sacrifices. And today I see a lot of people sort of talk about giving up on property because interest rates are a little bit higher, which means the cash flow loss out of property is, is more, which means people have a choice today, give up some lifestyle for your future self. Uh, and of course, a lot of people today are going, well, the property costs a lot to run. Instead, the better question is, what can you sacrifice from your uh, costs, dinners, your car, uh, to control the asset, learning to be a money manager. So I learned to be a money manager. I actually uh, drove a $900 car for the first seven years of my economic life. The Austin 1800 was a death trap. Yes, an absolute death trap. Now, if you want to see the ugliest car in Australia, just Google the Austin 1800. It had drum brakes. Basically, to stop the car, you'd have to pump your foot. Uh, you would have to pump it enough so the drum would kick in and the brake would actually work. And of course, it was an absolute death trap. You would have to do, you know, quite often to stop at traffic lights, I'd be ripping a handbrake up. So I was in a death trap for the first economic period of my life, re-saving money to make up for the uh, lesson of not being a good money manager with uh, my investment. And again, a money manager is just an investment manager. And if you're not your own investment manager, I don't know actually who is. If you can't discern 
how to invest, then you've probably got to go learn some tools and surround yourself with people who can help you. It's not what you earn, it's what you keep in this world. And uh, really, the, the, the lesson I learned from failing in the beginning was for the rest of my life, any money I get, I'm going to work out how to multiply it and I'm going to be a good manager of my own economy. You are your own economy. So that really made me comprehend that uh, I can be enthusiastic about being a property investor, but there is really a real economy out in the world. And because there's an economy and because we all come from all walks of life, really the only thing I can control or could control to get to this place, which I know sounds perverted, a place where I could belong, was to focus on what I can or could control. And for a lot of people, property investment is a is is really foreign to them because they don't focus on what they can control. They create beliefs about what they can't control. You can't control the market. You can't control interest rates. You can't control the government. You can't control regulations. No one can control that stuff. And really, probably the biggest conversations around real estate is, is really about what people can't can control. People are besotted by what they can't control. So I realized that I couldn't control regulations. I couldn't control interest rates. I couldn't control uh, the the cost of money. Uh, I couldn't control rents. I I can't control any of that stuff. But again, uh, really, it came back to understanding, focus on what you can control. And so at that point of my life, I started to focus on things that don't require much talent because I certainly was not uh, the smartest kid on the block. But what I could do was always be prepared by researching, understanding, reading, listening. Um, I, I, could, I could invest in being prepared. I could always be on time to stuff. Uh, when I go to work, I'll be the first person at work. Um, when I uh, say I'm going to be in an appointment, I'll be the person who's first at the appointment. I decided that I'm going to ultimately uh, outperform uh, everyone in the marketplace, in the jobs market, in the, uh, you know, in, in that space. And, you know, it was around that sort of time I did, um, you know, some, some self-development and I did things like Anthony Robbins and, uh, you know, Anthony Robbins has this concept about your key question. And my key question came back to who or what 
uh, do I need to defeat to where I need to go? And it was just a simply a mantra for me to go, what do I need to do to actually be stronger to end up in a place where I'm financially successful? And it really came down to being prepared, being on time, having a really good work ethic. Um, anyone who's worked with me knows that I work. When I go to work, I work. I work a thousand miles an hour. I don't dilly-dally. I don't spend time, you know, mucking around. Work for me is a way to create income and income is a way to be a money manager and a money manager is a way to be an investor. And so I've always been very disciplined about that. I've always been very constant around that. It was a decision I decided to do. What can I focus on? What can I control? I can control being consistent, showing up, being uh, there, being available, being prepared. I can concentrate on that. I can focus on that. I'm not going to be the smartest person going around. So I'm going to bring good energy. I'm going to bring a good attitude. I'm going to have a passion for what I do and I'll do extra stuff. I don't mind working uh, longer. I don't mind ringing more people. I don't mind doing the extra bits. I don't mind having to work on the weekends at a market store to make money to be a money manager. Doing extra for me has never uh, been a problem because the way I've always viewed it is, is I can control that. I can't control the market. I can't control other people. I can't control, uh, you know, the economy, geopolitical tensions. I can't control any of that. But the lesson, the third lesson for me to develop as a multimillionaire was to focus on what I can control. And really, when it comes down to it, it was really about being uh, a willing to be coachable, to have a good worth ethic, to be disciplined enough with my money that if I can focus on what I can control, I can be a good money manager. If I can be a good money manager, I can be a great investor. And so I would spend time early on working out what I can control. I can control what I read, who I listen to, who I uh, want to surround myself with. And uh, again, I uh, started to, to do all sorts of different things to try and do extra, extra job. Uh, I would have three jobs, not one job. And again, all of this was designed around building capital to put into the marketplace. It was around that time as well. I started to go, well, if I'm going to be a property investor, I need to go and do property investment uh, real estate courses. And, uh, you know, the first first course I enrolled in, I got rejected from. Uh, I've still got the letter somewhere. I've, I've got to go and find it because it's quite interesting that uh, the first time I enrolled in basically a diploma in real estate, which back then was like a three-year course, um, 
I got rejected. They said, no, you're not smart enough. You're not, your your, uh, high school, um, you know, results from, 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 from that period were not strong enough. And so uh, I did all sorts of courses to, to again do extra to, to be able to be accepted into that uh, three-year property um, uh, program. And that property program, again, taught me a lot about real estate. It taught me enough to understand all sorts of language inside of the real estate world. And uh, again, it was like, you know, the real world teaches you the school of hard knocks, some of the more tertiary information, you know, just finesses the, the ability to, to, to give you confidence in a industry. And I certainly got confidence from learning around property market fundamentals and housing market fundamentals and economic fundamentals. But for me, the game of investment came back to building deposit power to invest. Uh, And, you know, I would do all sorts of things to try and build deposits. I remember, you know, one of the ways I got ahead uh, was doing a deal over in Katanning in Western Australia. I'd never been to Katanning. Still to this day, Katanning is just part of the wheat belt of Western Australia. It's a little weird farming community. But uh, I remember, for example, reading the Trading Post, which I don't even know if it exists today. It's probably um, Gumtree. It's really the, the the modern version of the Trading Post. But um, there used to be a newspaper called the Trading Post. And, um, you know, anyone who's ever seen the castle, you would – uh, you would probably remember the uh, the Corrigans would always have a chat over dinner about stuff in the Trading Post, and uh, the famous line was "Tell them, tell them they're dreaming." But uh, you know, it was very common back then to get on the Trading Post and see what you could buy and sell. And I remember looking and seeing in the Trading Post there were four houses basically in Katanning that were up for tender to be removed. Now, Katanning is about 6,000 kilometres from where I live. Uh, Basically, the ad wrote, uh, tender wanted for removal of the houses um, to relocate to wherever you want to take the houses. The houses are yours. The government wants their their land cleared, and uh, there are some acceptable houses in uh, good condition that can be transported on a truck to somewhere else. And uh, basically, I put in an offer for the four houses, five thousand dollars a house. Um, and lo and behold, the government gave me the winning tender. And uh, when I reviewed the, the the results of the tender, there was builders over in Western Australia who were prepared to do it for twenty thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, and I was paying twenty thousand dollars to remove these houses. So, I thought, geez, I'm uh, I'm a bright spark here. But 
what I did, I just put them put the houses in the local rag again, back in the trading post, and I ended up selling each house for uh, basically an, a, around $20,000. So my $5,000 bought basically houses worth $20,000, which again, I got someone else to come in and transport them out. So hustling and doing extra and being disciplined and being part of the world, being on time, being prepared, being passionate, really everything I just explained was just that that was it. That's, that's, that's the lesson, you know, be attentive to the world and the world will create you opportunity. So, uh, It's really, you know, about doing extra, I think, to get ahead in this world, to set yourself up, to set up the, the right framework. And of course, uh, by this time I, start, I, was, I was well entrenched into a real estate world and, um, you know, I realized that real estate agents don't own real estate. They don't. Uh, they, they go to work every day. They make money selling properties, renting properties, but most real estate agents are not invested in the real estate industry, which is quite strange. So I would see inside of the workplaces I would go to work at, where I had just simply had a job, that realtors were just giving people advice, uh, giving people cliche information, one-liners, but didn't even own real estate themselves. So you had this complete fabricated industry of people that did not actually own the asset class they were selling, which never made sense to me. And it kind of taught me that really the industry is full of broke people giving bad advice. And, uh, you know, I think, this is where I started to go, well, for me, my uh, primary question is, is, is very connected to the idea that I'm fascinated with belonging and property as a way for people to belong. And really, uh, from that point, I started one of my first businesses where I became a migration agent. I went and studied migration law and got a, uh, a, a migration license to help people basically migrate to Australia and be part of the Australian economy. And the reason I really went down that road was I believe that uh, that property can create a sense of belonging and that as Australia was creating a business plan around um, around new immigration at the time uh, Costello and Howard were were the people in charge of the country and they created a mission to double Australia's population I thought wow economically speaking that is just fantastic I'm going to go and learn uh, migration law and I'm going to help people who uh, 
basically need to uh, a starting point coming into the country and I'm going to help people belong because for me that was always one of my missions was economically how can I improve myself and belong so my really one of my first businesses I started which was uh, a legitimate business had an office had other people working there um, had a front door retail um, you know it was on Glebe Point Road in Glebe was very much connected with the conversation that property actually helps people belong and my thought behind the business model was um, that you can bring immigrants to Australia, uh, help them become basically new Australians and then help uh, guide them into real estate. And uh, really that was that was the thought process behind uh, the model. And um, that business went uh, went into its startup phase and uh, you know we, uh, myself and a business associate at the time were were basically helping people become Australians, whether they were from Afghanistan or all sorts of places. And the reason I, I had a real liking to it was all coming back to who could these people listen to. I wanted to be the trusted voice of really that world. And so that was all the way back in uh, sort of the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, I realised in the real estate world, the real estate world was kind of broken. And so my professional career uh, really started to evolve off the back of the fact that Real estate agents did not own real estate and I didn't like being part of a world where people were selling something but didn't own what they were part of the industry, what they were selling. I think the saying today is, you know, you never never trust a skinny cook and uh, really still today, if you walked into any real estate office in Australia, probably seven, eight out of 10 people that work on that floor do not actually own real estate. So I started to guide myself in a direction where I wanted to own a business. I wanted to be involved in Australia's big future, which of course was its drive and population drive. And I wanted to be involved in real estate. And it was around the same time I actually met my business partner today, Jason, who uh, who was keen on starting Australia's first buyer's agency. And um, uh, I met Jason and uh, really he's one of those sort of guys when you know you're in the room with Jason that you're in the right room because you're not the smartest person in the room. And, uh, you know, Jason's really a country guy and he's sort of you know got got a real gift when he when he talks and uh i started to go i want to listen to this guy and uh ended up starting a business alongside jason and work between the two businesses in my 
early business career, uh, the migration business and uh, the buyer's agency business. And eventually, uh, you know, in around sort of 2003, 2004, I went, I really love this concept that I can be a buyer's agency. So I gave up doing the migration work and uh, jumped into being a buyer's agent um, in my early, early business career. And so um, really the concept of, of going down that business ownership route was really stemmed from who am I listening to? And if I go back to really the conversation about how I've evolved and gone through the lessons of real estate investing. It was really started with not understanding the maths, then realizing I've got to be a money manager, then understanding that if you want to be successful, it's about what you focus on and what you focus on and can control rather than other things controlling you. Uh, and then it really grew into, well, I can't trust who I'm listening to, so I'm going to get involved with people who I do trust and want to listen to, and I'm going to help other people participate in that as well. And then really uh, my, my next move was just understanding property is a vessel, it's a strategy to get where you need to go. And uh, for a lot of people, property investment was not a defined strategy. Uh, it was like what I did, which was just you just enthusiastic and buy something. And again, like I became an investor, a money manager of strategies. And uh, primarily the strategies for, were for me in the beginning but then I started to help other people use the strategies. So to begin with, I became an investor in seed capital. What I would do is I, I realized I didn't have big deposits to buy the best real estate. So I would create more short-term investments. I planned well, I strategized well, I learned the right marketplaces. And uh, the first, well, the next series of investments I made in the real estate market were conscious decisions to buy real estate where I would simply add value through building off the plan and subdivision. Uh, I would own the real estate for a short period of time, extract uh, the profits out of the real estate and redeploy that money into much better real estate where I could derive a plan based on really how real estate works. And my, my uh, early investments in the early 2000s were based around which marketplace is growing the fastest, uh, how can I exploit that marketplace, and how can I manipulate and manufacture some value to then uh, create a much bigger deposit base to then redeploy that deposit into more blue chip assets. So my first real property that I 
bought, I sold within 18 months. It was a D-grade asset. My next investments were at best C-grade assets, but they were assets where you could manipulate the value of the properties. You could manufacture growth. And uh, I bought, for example, a subdivision in Kalgoorlie, which, you know, again, just a, a weird gold mining little weird place in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I found um, a large block of land and I split the block of land and I I sold, uh, you know, both blocks. Uh, I did an off-the-plan strategy where I put a very small deposit down. It's like 15 grand and it went on to, to punch really hard and that real estate grew by about $180,000 uh, based on a $15,000 deposit which again taught me that you can use other people's time and uh, I built a property and I realized through building you can actually add value to real estate. So I did these strategies which were strategies in really C-grade areas but I knew once the real estate had gone through its ability of manufacturing uh, the growth I would offload the real estate. And uh, of course, I went and offloaded the real estate. And then by that time, I had some really good seed investments, some investment money to really buy better real estate. And uh, I used the early 2000s to extract uh, deposit power, deposit money, to then re-enter the Sydney property market, which I knew was just a much better marketplace. And so I then started to design some strategies around uh, property investment. And for me, I really resonated with the concept that, uh, again, I was, I guess, fascinated with the immediacy of property. And I love seeing things happen and the result of the physical evidence of, of what had happened. And so I would create these beautiful observations about real estate, that real estate is driven by four growth factors. The way you buy real estate is one growth factor. The location of where you buy real estate is a second growth factor. The third growth factor is how the market will perform. And the final growth factor, the fourth growth factor, factor was how people emotionally connected with the real estate and what type of predictors the real estate had for that emotional connection. And that's where I have been investing ever since off the 4X growth plan. So when I first, um, you know, were, were helping people understand real estate by jumping into our you know, bigger and better marketplaces, it was driven off the 4X growth plan, four times growth theory. And so ever since then, I've, I've really been teaching that theory and helping other people. And of course, being my own money manager with a strategy. And so if you sort of want to bring home the five lessons that made me a multimillionaire, really is you got to, understand maths, maths are goals, goals. Uh, maths create outcome. 
You've got to be your own money manager. You've got to put yourself in a position where you can be your own money manager. You've got to focus on what you can control and be diligent about what you control and actually get out there and be prepared to do stuff uh, to get ahead. And of course, you've got to check who you are listening to and be willing to walk away from those people that you should not be listening to. And for me, it was about walking away from mainstream real estate because I didn't click with it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to take me in the right direction. It was going to take me in the wrong direction. And finally, you've got to design or use a well-designed property strategy to get ahead. And really, between those five lessons, I've never looked back on real estate and I've gone on to own a lot of real estate. I've gone on to make further mistakes. Uh, but overall, um, yeah, the lessons I've, I've learned from, from those five key pillars guide me till this day. And again, uh, I guess I finally belong, which is where I uh, kind of started from, which is, which is great as well. All right, folks, that's it from me today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. But uh, Pratesh, I, I hope that helped. Um, yeah, I don't know. We never know till we get to the end. But uh, thanks again for letting me be part of your world. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it. If you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.